Good morning, Parkway Church. How you guys doing today? Good. I am so glad you're here with us as we continue our journey through Scripture. We're in a section of the Scriptures called the Gospels, where we're looking at the eyewitness accounts to Jesus' life. And today's story is one that means a lot to me, because 24 years ago, this little church in the mall in Victoria invited me to come down and to speak to their students. We had been talking about me coming to be the student pastor for weeks, and this was kind of a test run, so to speak. And so we built this retreat. We went to Port Royal, down on the beach. It was a beautiful setting, a great place. And about 30 students, junior high and high school, were there, and they were ready to learn from me. And what did I teach? I taught them the story that I'm going to teach you today. It's the story of Thomas. And I did something then that I'd never, ever done before. I created this little speaking technique called Mike's World, where I would say that I'm about to step into character. I'm about to tell you the story. It's not exactly as written, but it's kind of how Mike sees the world in Scripture. And then I stepped into character and told them the story from a firsthand view. It was an amazing weekend together. There was worship. There was teaching. We played this game out on the beach. It was, it was kind of a, an obstacle course or a relay race. And the only thing I remember is that the last leg of this relay race was supposed to have an adult leader carry a junior high kid on their back, like piggyback, right? And so they're giving me the test run so you know who has to run the final leg for their team. And so I've got this junior hire on my back, running from the beach up the boardwalk at, at Port Royal. And I'll never forget it. Brian Williams is behind me. And he's got the smallest junior high kid you've ever seen in your life on his back. And he says, get out of the way, preacher. I'm coming through. So I step aside, and he won that race. And I got the job. <laughs> and so the story I'm going to tell you today is the story of Thomas. And it's the story of a man who is known for his biggest regret. Can you imagine that you would be known for that which you regret the most? Well, Thomas is known as one who doubted God. When you hear the name Thomas in Scripture, it always is with that leader doubting Thomas. He had a low point in his life, and he's known for it. But what I want you to discover today is that the grace of God does a couple things. It keeps us from taking steps that we will regret. It protects us. But the grace of God overcomes even the worst regrets and the biggest questions that we have in life. Like I think about one of the ways that God's grace protected me when I was 17 years old. A group of friends and I had a big plan. We would have a fun night together, and then we would go from Sugarland into Montrose, and we would get tattoos. Sounds like a solid plan for a group of 17-year-old guys, doesn't it? And so my plan was to get a UT Longhorn tattoo right here on my ankle, because that's where guys got their tattoos back then, just for the record. And I was planning on going to the University of Texas. Well... As a graduate of Sam Houston State University, <laughs> I sure am glad that I don't have a longhorn tattoo on my ankle. 
And as student pastor and then senior pastor of a church full of Aggies, I'm not sure we could have overcome that tattoo, friends. I'm not sure. God's grace protects us from our biggest regrets. Can you look back at your life and say, God has protected me from doing some things that I would later really regret? God has protected me from taking some steps, building some relationships, accepting a job, making a purchase, whatever. Drinking again? Has God, by his grace, protected you from your regrets? Well, if we look and say yes to that, we're also going to learn from Thomas today that Jesus not only protects us from our greatest regrets, but Jesus allows us to be an eyewitness of his grace even when we do something that we don't want to be known for. This is the story of Thomas. You know, I lived a full life. I walked with Jesus. I followed him. I obeyed him. And yet, I had this one moment. And when I say one moment, I really mean about a week of struggle. I wasn't always weak in my faith, but when they came to me and said, the tomb is empty and he's alive. <laughs> How could a tomb be empty? I saw him die. And then they laid him in a tomb. I saw it. They rolled a stone in front. They sealed it. They even posted guards so that nothing could happen to his body. And now they come back and say, the tomb is empty and he's appeared to us. <laughs> How could I believe that? Why in the world would all of my friends be pulling this joke on me? I'm not going to fall for it. I fell for it once because this guy, Jesus, said he was our Messiah, and then he died. I fell for it once. I'm not going to fall for it again. Not me. So that's why I'm known as Doubting Thomas. Because when everyone else said he's alive, I said, I'm not going to believe it until I see it. Not to give away the end of the story, but this is just how good Jesus was to me. Even when I had big questions, he came to me. He didn't come to me exactly when I would have hoped. He came to me exactly as his timing was perfect for me. And he said, Thomas, see these hands, see this side? I am alive. My doubt, my question was erased. My friends weren't pulling a prank on me. My friends were telling me he is alive. And now I see it. And now I believe it. <laughs> But you still know me for my questions. But my story is about so much more. My story is about the one who showed me his grace despite my regret, despite my questions. This is the story of Thomas. And as we look at the story of Thomas, we're going to focus in on two points of Thomas's life. Because Thomas, if he didn't have that week of questioning, he wouldn't be known as Doubting Thomas. He would likely be known as Great Faith Thomas. 
He would likely be known as bold faith Thomas. He would likely be known as a a hero in the story as opposed to being one who is called a doubter in the story of God. Because you see, Thomas had a high point. You can fill in that blank. He had a high point. And, And here's how it played out. When Jesus got word that his friend Lazarus was sick, The disciples were concerned because Jesus wanted to go and to be with Lazarus and to be with Mary and Martha. But the last time they were there, Jesus was threatened. He was almost stoned and his life was almost taken. And so the other 11 disciples shrink back. They say, don't you remember, Lord, last time we went there, you were almost killed. And Thomas, who was known as Didymus, which means twin, Thomas spoke up and he said, let us go, let us die with him. That's the stuff that spiritual legend is made of. And that's our boy Thomas declaring it. If Jesus dies, we die. If he goes, we go. If it cost us everything, it cost us everything. This was the high point of his spiritual life. But he's not known for this moment. Can you imagine having this moment with Jesus? And that's not the one that everybody remembers. That's not the one that everybody talks about. When Thomas said, let us go, let us die with him, it set the stage for Jesus to talk to Lazarus' sisters and to say, I am the resurrection and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. It set the stage for Lazarus to be called from the grave to show that Jesus has power over life and death. He's in control of all. And yet Thomas isn't remembered for that. He's remembered for a low point. And you can fill in that blank. He's remembered for a low point. After Jesus was crucified, they buried him. And they rolled a stone and they sealed it and they guarded the tomb. And Thomas, this man of great, bold faith, saw his Savior, his Messiah, die. Now, Jesus had told them all along, I'm going to be handed over to to, to people who are not good people. And and I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. Remember last week, Peter pulled Jesus aside and scolded him and said, may it never be, Lord, when Jesus was telling them exactly what would happen. And I don't know why the disciples didn't have instant recall when they saw that stone roll in front of the tomb. I don't know why they didn't have instant recall and say, this is exactly going according to plan. This is exactly what he told us would happen. They didn't see it, especially Thomas. And so they buried Jesus and Friday, Saturday, and then Easter Sunday as we celebrate it today. Women came to the tomb early expecting to find a body that they would treat with spices. But what did they find? They found the tomb was empty. They found his grave clothes folded nicely. An angel of the Lord asked them, why do you look for the living among the dead? And they ran back to tell the others that Jesus is alive. And then Jesus, to prove that he truly is alive, appeared to a group of people Minus Thomas. This group of people saw the risen Savior, but their friend Thomas wasn't in the crowd. 
So can you imagine rolling up on that scene if you're Thomas? He's alive, he's alive, he's alive. I just went out to get milk. He's alive, he's alive, he's alive. What's up with that? He says, I'm not going to believe until I can see where they pierced his hands and where they pierced his side. I'm not going to see it until I can touch it. And I'm not going to believe it until this happens. So a week later, some of your translations say eight days later, Jesus appeared again to the followers. And this time, Thomas, Didymus, the twin, was with them. How would Jesus respond to Thomas's doubt? How would Jesus respond to his low point, to his questioning? Well, Thomas was about to be an eyewitness to God's grace. Because Jesus walks right up to Thomas. And I love it because if you read what Thomas wants to see, Jesus shows him exactly what he's looking for. When Thomas says, I'm not going to believe until I can see where they nailed you. I'm not going to believe until I can see and feel where they pierced you in the side. Jesus says, look, Thomas, look, Thomas, I am alive. It's an amazing exchange. Despite his low point, Jesus comes to him. No matter the questions that are being asked by Thomas, Jesus answers them. Listen how it plays out, John 20, 26 through 29. A week later, the disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Now, he's got to say that because he is both our risen Lord who's able to walk through walls and doors, so he's got to say, Peace be with you. What that means is, don't freak out, fellas. It's me. So what did he do? Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas had questions. Jesus had answers. And Jesus said, stop doubting and believe. What would Thomas do? He said to him, my Lord and my God, and Jesus, knowing the condition of our heart and the condition of our, of our lives, knows that when Thomas says, my Lord and my God, he's believing that Jesus is alive, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Savior, that he is everything that the world hoped for and is looking for. My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I love that statement by Jesus. It says, Thomas, you believe because I showed up and showed you my hands and my side. But blessed are all of those that will follow you. That's you and me. Blessed are all of those that will follow you who will believe without seeing. Who will have faith. Blessed are they. If you're here today and you've never had that moment where you have believed in Jesus like Thomas believed in Jesus, like I've believed in Jesus, where he showed himself to you to be the truth of God, to be the savior of the world. The Bible says that we're all sinners who need a savior. 
and that Jesus is both the Savior and Lord of all of the earth. And he invites you to believe in him just like Thomas did. Stop doubting and believe. See, Thomas' story is a story that we can all step into because all of us have questions. All of us doubt in some way. When we doubt about the future, we call it worry. When we doubt about other people, we call it suspicion. When we doubt about ourselves, we call it inferiority. When we doubt about everything, we call it cynicism. We can all step into the story of Thomas and be an eyewitness to the grace of God today. Learn how to deal with those questions. Learn how to deal with those doubts. And know that Jesus overcomes even our lowest moments and our biggest regrets. As you think about the questions you have before God, as you think about the questions you have in the faith, know this, and you can fill in this blank. Honesty before God does not equal doubt. If you've ever been skeptical, if you've ever been frustrated, if you've ever wondered, God, when are you going to deliver on behalf of your promise to me? Like Thomas waited a week for Jesus to confirm that he's alive. When you are in the middle there, honest questions before God does not equal doubt. Because what has God called you to live by? God has called you to live, believer in Jesus, he's called you to live not by your sight, but by your faith. Not by your certainty, but by your belief. He's called you to live by faith. Hebrews 11, 1 and 2 says this. Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. The Bible says that Abraham believed, he had faith, and was called a friend of God. What God desires for us to build our lives on isn't the certainty of what we can see with our own eyes, but the assurance and the hope that we have in him. That's our faith. Gut-level questions before God lead to great faith. So don't hide your questions. Don't hide your concerns. Don't hide your frustrations. Be honest with God. Because it's when we're honest with God that he grows our confidence, that he assures us that he is in charge and that we can trust him. When God says, trust me, when Jesus says, follow me, you can trust him and you can follow him. Even when your eyes don't see it, your faith says trust. Your faith says follow. Your faith says believe. Second thing we know, questions do not equal doubt. Some of you hear me say, ask God those gut level questions. And you're like, Mike, if I ask him a question, that means I'm not trusting him. No, not in the least. If you ask God a question, it means that you're trusting him for the answer. Think about this for a moment, friends. When you have a question and you need an answer, 
Are you going to go to somebody who you distrust? Or are you going to go to someone you have great confidence and assurance in? If you go to God with your questions, it's because you trust him. It's because you've got a confidence and an assurance in him. That's your faith. Jesus healed a young boy in Mark 9, 21 through 24. Listen how the story plays out. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has the boy been like this? The boy had a seizure disorder. And the father says, from childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or the water to kill him. So this is a dangerous disease to have in this time. The young man would have seizures and would be near a campfire, and it was dangerous. The young man would have seizures, be near the water. It was dangerous. But the father looks and says, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus responds, if you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. And immediately the father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me to overcome my unbelief. You see, it's when the man asks the question that he found his faith. It's when the man asked the question that he became sure that Jesus could do what was necessary. Friends, when we refuse to ask questions before God because we're afraid it shows doubt or worry or anxiety, we're missing it. Jesus welcomes our questions. Jesus welcomes our inquiries. The question is, where do you go when you have questions in life? You go to God in prayer. Where else do you go? You go to the Bible for truth. Where else do you turn? You turn to people for understanding and wisdom. One of the things that I love about Thomas is that he didn't bail on his community. He was the only one who was questioning whether or not Jesus was alive. Everyone else had faith. He had questions. And he didn't bail on them. He didn't say, you guys are nuts. I'm out of here. He didn't say, God is working in your life, but will never work in my life. I'm out of here. He stayed with his community. He asks his questions. And Jesus met his need. Too many times in the church today and in small groups today, when people have questions, when people have doubts, when people have a great need before God, rather than turning to him in prayer and rather than turning to scripture and hanging tight in community, they run and hide. Because they say this faith stuff works for everyone except me. Thomas didn't do that. And you don't have to either. Because questions do not equal doubt. In fact, if you turn to the right people at the right time with your questions, your faith will actually grow and deepen and be developed because you asked God the question. Last one. Doubt does not equal completion. Thomas may be known for his greatest regret. But that's not the end of his story. Because Jesus came to him and said, your life, Thomas, 
is not just a snapshot of your doubts. Your life is the big picture of what I'm doing in you. Think about that with me for a moment. Is your life just a series of pics that are taken, single snapshots, some high moment snapshots, some low moment snapshots, some very boring snapshots? Is your life just a series of snapshots? Or is your life a video? Is it a story that's unfolding all the more? Friends, too many times as believers, we think that our life is just the most recent snapshot we've had. Some of you walk in today with a really beautiful snapshot. You had a great Thanksgiving and you're like, look at this, I've got a high point snapshot to share with everybody. Others come in with a low point snapshot and you wonder, is this how my story goes? Well, doubt, failure, regrets do not equal completion. Philippians 1 verse 6, it's a verse that can give every believer great hope and confidence and assurance. Listen to what it says. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Did you see it? We can be confident that our lives are not a snapshot of success and failure, but our lives are a story of God working and willing to make us more like him. Your life is not a snapshot of failure, doubt, or regret. Your life is the story of Jesus working, and, and he's going to continue to work until the very end of the age. He's not done with you, and he's not done with me. The story continues. The credits haven't rolled because he is at work. Friends, when we know that God's at work, we can let those moments of faithfulness help us trust God again and again and again and again. I want you to hear the story of a family within our church that saw the faithfulness of God on display. Brian and Kate Crookshanks have been a part of our Lone Tree family since the beginning. And their story is a story of God providing and God answering their questions and God working and willing in them. Let's check it out. How are you guys doing? Oh, we're good. Brian, Kate, and this is... This is Lydia. How old is Lydia? Say she's two. Can you say two? Yeah, you're two. <laughs> See, I'll up <laughs> so tell us how Lydia came into your lives. What's the story here? Here it's a big God story. So we um Julie. Um so we knew we wanted to adopt pretty much from the time we like got married. That's one of the things that we talked about. Um we really felt that on our heart and then um I don't know, we, we moved and we had the boys and then after we had our two boys, um, Caleb's six now and Jacob is four, um, we decided we wanted to to go forward with adoption. So yeah. So walk us through the process and how did God show up during this time when you guys you made a decision and what happens next? So we, uh, we started looking into it uh, a couple years ago, about uh, April and that, 
ended up being about the time that she was born, actually. And so we started by looking at different adoption agencies, decided on one that we liked, and then we started looking at countries, decided on which country we wanted to go to. And then at that point, we uh, kind of uh, uh. went back a little bit. And uh, so uh, at that point, we uh, kind of paused a little bit and wondered, is this really something that we can handle? Up to that point, we had been pretty confident about uh, that that was God's plan for us to adopt, but started looking at the finances of it because it turned out adoption was a lot more expensive than we had planned on. And uh, we looked at our plans for the next couple of years and uh, you know how a, another child would fit into that and started wondering, is this really something that we can handle? I guess the whole process of, of the adoption process was um, felt like like the song where it says you call me out upon the water the great unknown where feet may fail I feel like for me that's what it felt like um, I felt like Peter <laughs> getting out of the boat um, and God gave us exactly what we needed but only what we needed when we needed it if that makes any sense mm -hmm. so like for example when we decided to go forward with it we we mailed our adoption application and then the exact same day we mailed the adoption application um, brian was teaching sat class through bisd and they said we're gonna have to cut that because um has a budget cuts and we thought how in the world what what do we do now god why we, we just decided we wanted to do this finances are a big issue um why now? I said, Brian, what does this mean? What's God trying to tell us? And he said, well, if I'd had the meeting um, before I dropped off the application, maybe <laughs> maybe that was God telling us no, but he said, we dropped off the application. And then that happened. So we're just going to keep trusting that God, um, that God will provide. And he provided in ways that um, only he could do. I think that, I, I don't know, I feel like I learned more about God um, during that time of waiting, during that time of not knowing. Um, because, I mean, I would have never planned this. We, um, we decided to go forward with the paperwork. We weren't quite sure where the finances would come from. And then my dad called, um, and he redid a 1955 Chevy. And that was like his car. He loved that car. I mean, even we drove away in it at our wedding and um, he at, at the rehearsal dinner, my dad goes, well, you know, I trust Brian, not because he's marrying my daughter, but because I'm letting him drive my car. I mean, this car was like his, his baby. So he called me and he said, you know, um, we have this car, but it's older, doesn't have seat belts in it. The boys loved the car. He was like, and I'm just, when they get to be 16, I'm worried they're going to get out on the road and go too fast in it. And he said, I would rather gain a grandchild than lose one. And wow. so let me um, sell, I want to sell the car and give you the money so that you can go forward with the adoption. And it was, I mean, one of my, my parents have always showed me the grace of God throughout their whole lives. But just, I mean, that was another evidence of them doing that. Um, but only God could have orchestrated. I mean, I would have never. I'm a big control freak, so I, wanted, I was trying to figure out how it was going to work. And there's a big lesson there in God's perfect timing, right? Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes. And timing was another issue with the adoption. We um, we chose China and we chose our adoption agency because we were trying to time it to where we could go to China at the beginning of the summer, so that I could have all the summer to spend with her, since I'm a teacher, um, and have as much time as possible. Um, and 
adoption, you just never know when it comes to the timeline how it's going to work. And there was some slowdown, and we just didn't know if we were going to be able to do that. Um, we ended up being able to travel at the beginning of the summer, which was also a big, huge answer to prayer. Um, but once again, it was it was God. It was God. Hindsight's always twenty twenty. As you look back now, where else did you see God work throughout this adoption process for y'all? I think we can say we saw God work in uh, in our hearts to make us into somebody who would be willing to do that, because you know it's a it was a real challenge, and looking forward, it, it would have been easier not to and. Uh, but God had been really working on us ever since uh, about the time that we were married and uh, you know, putting in front of us ideas like how he's a father to the fatherless and how um, you know, real religion is taking care of orphans. And it was something that he stuck on us and never let go. And those came up over and over and over over the course of our marriage and as we had one kid and then two we kept thinking about how you know god has called his people to uh, take a real responsibility for caring for orphans and so uh, had god not been uh, putting that in front of us then we uh, never would have uh, you know, come to have this kind of opportunity have lydia in our lives So Brian and Kate were called by God to have faith. They had questions along the way. Their faithful step would be to adopt a child. Despite their questions, they kept walking by faith. And what did God do? He proved himself to be faithful. And as you look at your life, the same God that they trusted is the God that invites you to trust him today. That same God who proved himself to be faithful to the Crookshanks will prove himself to be faithful to you. If you fast forward Brian and Kate's story just a bit, by faith he quit his job as a school teacher and is now the director of communications for Congressman Cloud. If you quit a job to go on staff with a politician who's running for office, that's some faith. And it's faith because God had proven himself to be faithful. Will you allow God to prove himself faithful? Ask those questions. Submit to him. Follow him. Believe today that all things truly are possible with God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the chance to hear the story of Thomas. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to deal with our questions and to deal with our doubt. And Lord, I do thank you how you overcame Thomas's greatest regret, that moment where he questioned you, but you came to him. So Lord, I pray you would prove yourself faithful to us just like you did to him and just like you are with the Crookshanks. And Lord, I pray that as you do, we would follow you and trust you more and more. As we pray right now, church family, maybe you need to just go to God and say, hey, I, I want to trust you in this area of life. I've had some questions. I've been skeptical. I've been anxious. I've been full of worry. But I want to trust you in this area. 
And as you do that, if you've never believed in Jesus for life, today's your day. He brought you here so you could know that he loves you and he died for you, that he was raised again from the dead to offer you life, life forever in heaven and a new life here on earth. The Savior and Lord of all invites you to believe and he will give you that life. If today's your day, you can mark it with a prayer. You can pray. Jesus, I believe. I believe that I'm a sinner who needs a Savior and that you are the Savior of the world. Thank you for coming for me, for dying in my place and being raised again from the dead. Today, I believe. Thank you for giving me life. 